regionalism, I think, is becoming very popular with cities. Again, combining resources and to be able to create a critical mass to get attention from third-party entrants to actually create a competitive network that would provide services to, to businesses in their communities collectively um, at a much lower price if they did it singularly. This is episode 330 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. The 2018 Broadband Communities Economic Development Conference in Ontario, California, gave Christopher a chance to talk to several people for our podcast. One of the people he wanted to be sure to speak with was Jory Wolf, who now works as a consultant. Many Community Broadband Bids podcast listeners already know that Jory was the driving force behind Santa Monica's CityNet. In this episode, Jory takes some time to give Christopher an update on what's been happening in Santa Monica, including their plans for bringing high-quality connectivity to residents living in the city's public housing. He also shares updates on some of the many other projects happening in California. In addition to sharing what he's observed about some of the opportunities local governments have been able to take advantage of, Jory talks about several of the regional projects in California. He describes new approaches of public-private partnerships and the way local communities are setting themselves up today for better future connectivity. Now here's the interview. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Chris Mitchell at the uh, Ontario, California Broadband Communities Economic Development Summit, sitting with Jory Wolf, who is currently the Vice President of Digital Innovations for Magellan Advisors. Welcome back, Jory. Thank you, Chris. Good to be here. Jory, um, two years ago, you were the you retired from being the, um, the CIO of Santa Monica, and uh, you'd done some interviews with us then. We did a case study on what you did in Santa Monica. And um, now you're, you're helping many other cities do this. Uh, why don't you just give me a little background of your, how you're approaching consulting? Because um, I think it's a little bit different than how some others do. We, I, I look at myself as a practitioner, not as a consultant. Um, I've been building broadband networks in the city of Santa Monica, uh, both wired and wireless, for the last 20 years. Um, started with um, after the 1996 Telecommunications Act, uh, built our first network uh, in 2002, connected 56 cities, school, and college facilities. By 2004, we connected Google in three locations in the city uh, and had ventured into providing uh, not only businesses but anchor institutions broadband connectivity at speeds of one gig. Uh, by um, and we were using a four gig network for the city school and the college. By the time that um, 2010 rolled around, we upscaled the network from one gig to 10 gig. And by the time we got to 2014, the network went from one and 10 and multiple gig to 100 gig. The city of Santa Monica is unique in many ways from other cities that are venturing into the broad, mini broadband space in that it not only owns, but it also operates its municipal fiber network. Uh, as well as implementing a fiber network, we've implemented for businesses and, of course, for economic development. Uh, we've implemented many smart city applications, including intelligent transportation, improved public safety, um, many applications for real-time parking and congestion management. Those are the ones that I was uh, immediately thinking of, especially when uh, my wife and I were in Santa Monica not too long ago and took advantage of those for on, a, on a vacation. 
Uh, we continue to look at other government innovations. Um, we grew the network. The network uh, then um, not only included businesses uh, and drew businesses to the area, but also retained businesses in Santa Monica. Um, that was then spread out to anchor institutions such as UCLA hospitals and clinics. Uh, and of course, the schools and the college district continue to thrive um, and have savings from being on a, a 10 gig connection through the CityNet broadband system. We implemented ubiquitous Wi-Fi throughout 80% of the commercial corridors and, of course, um, continue to look at opportunities to go beyond businesses and anchors. And by uh, just about the time that I was starting to leave Santa Monica and, create, and created a utility uh, fund for CityNet, uh, we started looking at the financials and what it would mean um, in terms of a revenue flow and a break-even to provide residents and low-income low housing units with a gig of broadband. It was clear to us in the math that we were doing that for $69 a month, we could deliver broadband to any multi-dwelling unit. And the numbers uh, penciled out, if there were at least 14 units in a particular multi-dwelling unit structure, there was a break-even for the city, uh, for the switch equipment, for the interior um, uh, structured cabling that would need to be done to the unit, uh, and any other power modifications that would have to be completed. And that's based on uh, units paying $10 a month, I'm guessing? Or and so? that was based upon units paying $69 a month for a gig. If the unit qualified under California CARE as a subsidy for low-income housing, um, then they were able to receive a subsidy and the, lowered the rate down to $48 per month for a gig. Okay. These were units that are being currently managed by the Community Corp, uh, City of Santa Monica. Uh, they manage these low-income housing units. There are 100 multi-dwelling unit properties, and we started with a pilot program for 10 of them. And so I think a lot of people go the opposite direction where they're trying to figure out how to do a more basic connection at uh, a very low rate. Um, what experiences has Santa Monica received um, you know, from doing your approach? A basic connection for residents where we really didn't want to offer anything lower than a gig for residents. It doesn't cost any less money to offer a hundred meg versus a gig to either a business or to a residential mm -hmm. um, location. Um, the equipment is pretty much the same. And any carrier will tell you that. Mm -hmm. And any uh, product reseller or manufacturer will also tell you the same. A gig port is a gig port. You run 100 meg off of it or you slice and dice it down to anything else, you're still going to pay for a gig port. Um, and so you might as well. It doesn't cost us any more. As a matter of fact, for City Minute customers, it was um, our standard routine. If they signed up for a gig, we would always give them a gig and a half or two gig. Uh, during a six-month uh, sign-up program, and that was a good incentive for them to sign up. First of all, they couldn't even get a gig from the other carriers right. because the other carriers hadn't invested beyond their coax and copper systems. So it was a good incentive to get uh, businesses and residents onto the, the network. Um, and again, it didn't cost the city any more, so why not? Why not? Well, I guess the, the question is, and there's an assumption, I think, often that the kinds of low-income households you're connecting wouldn't have that kind of monthly uh, revenue, the, the ability to pay those monthly bills. But um, your experience suggests that they are paying those, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and guess they're pretty happy with the service. 
There are. The system is, you know, still in its in its infancy. Uh, I would say that there are still lots of low-income housing properties that need to be connected, and then also to look at other multi-dwelling unit properties that have 14 units or more that will pencil out and break even in connecting those properties. Um, whether or not CityNet will ever advance to providing uh, gigabit or multi-gigabit to single-family residents is still not clear. Um, it is possible, but our opinion is those people really don't need an alternative, more affordable um, solution. Okay. So the reason I, I wanted to, to interview is actually based on a question I'd asked you a long time ago, um, maybe a, a year ago or so, about what was actually happening. Because I know that in your work for Magellan, you're working with a lot of, uh, of cities, um, a lot of them particularly here in Southern California, but also up all up and down the West Coast, sometimes working with cities in the middle of the country or the eastern part of the country, from what I can tell. Um, and I want to talk about some of the different approaches that we're seeing, because Frankly, there's a number of things going on that we just don't get much news about. And so one of those, I think, is how Inyo is partnering with a number of cities. So why don't we start there and, and just pick your brain a little bit about what we're seeing with business models in terms of partnerships with uh, this uh, ISP, a regional ISP called Inyo, I-N-Y-O. Uh, well, I'm really excited about the whole P3 model. Um, I think a lot of cities are saying, well, how are we going to go ahead and, and not only fund creating something like this, but we're not qualified to operate something like this. It needs to be maintainable. I don't think that there's a city manager or a city council in, in this country that would want to go forward with a broadband initiative and then have it fall apart. No one wants to be part of a failure. So they want to be sure that it's going to be successful and they need a solid operator to be able to do that. Interestingly, municipalities typically already have fiber assets to get started with. So a business model has now emerged, which is the predominant model that we see that Inyo is taking advantage of, and that is a P3. So the municipality owns the fiber network, typically comes from a traffic signal system. Mm -hmm. uh, we're using with conduit connecting uh, the, uh, the traffic signals uh, or from a street light system or any other conduit with that they might have underground. Of course, we all know about ways to incrementally build and opportunistically build uh, when wireless carriers come into town and they want to do encroachment in the public right-of-way to backhaul wireless with fiber uh, or other utilities for that matter. And you do joint trench and you lower the cost and you joint trench and put in your conduits while they're putting in their conduits. It saves the roadway and it also saves money. Um, but then, after you've built this thing, who's going to operate it? And Inyo fills that gap. There are companies like Inyo, um, and others uh, could be named as well. And, uh, of course, I meet with them on a regular basis because they're the partners that I bring to the table for all of our clients that are looking to solve that question for their councils and their city managers. Who's going to maintain this, and are they qualified to do that? Inyo has the credentials, and of course there are others. And uh, see cities um, now being more successful and are approaching broadband um, more confidently because they have an answer to the last question on maintenance and operations. 
So a city um, may have conduit um, on main arterials, may have uh, you know some conduit elsewhere, but um, is is the relationship that the city then leases whatever it has to Inyo, and they figure out how to extend that and build off of it, and then Inyo owns the rest of that, often the connection to the home and, and that sort of thing, and then they share back revenue based on the amount that they're leasing. Is, is that the kind of arrangement? Mostly, that's the, that's the typical form of the arrangement. Uh, obviously, uh, cities encourage Inyo and companies like Inyo to continue to expand on the footprint and get to new areas. As the city continues to build out to new property developments or works with developers and developing tracks, um, as the city uh, continues to look at its smart city initiatives and overlays its smart city and other government innovation with anchor institutions in areas that uh, don't have affordable broadband but need affordable broadband, the answer is how, how do we maintain all of that for all those varying, varying constituencies? And uh, these P3 public-private partners come in and do that very well for them. And, of course, we see the models changing. It's, this is something which is new. Um, I am familiar with Inyo. Inyo actually um, started with Vallejo in Northern California. Uh, they then picked up... For those of us not from California, that means the middle of California, Correct. I think, yes. technically. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but we wouldn't call it Central California either. Um, sure, and then after sure. that, they picked up Ontario, California, uh, and they're bidding actually on two other projects, one in the South Bay Coalition of 15 governments uh, for a regional mm-hmm. uh, INET and a loop, uh, and then also they're um, competing uh, in La Mesa for a city network uh, that uh, they where they need a P3 operator to maintain that for their traffic signals, their smart city, and to build for economic development. So let's talk about that South Bay approach. This is something that I think you're pretty excited about. I, and, and I think maybe a, based on a vision you had 30 or 40 years ago even. <laughs> so what is happening? Well, I guess the first good question is, what is the South Bay? And then what are they doing? The South Bay is a coalition of governments, very much like many governments throughout the country, collaborate on local or regional initiatives. And so it's we all understand they have corporate boundaries, but uh, projects and various initiatives cross those corporate boundaries. And it might be transportation, it might be housing, it might be economic development, it might be public safety. Or air pollution. Or air pollution, <laughs> yeah. Or it might be an airport or a port district that mm-hmm. they're all very close to. And it could be emissions and from those uh, ports and those airports as well. So they band together um, and they work on these, these local initiatives. In the South Bay in particular, we did a project and we looked at um, economic development. Uh, There was a uh, project that was funded uh, by the Workforce Investment Board. And through the WIB, uh, we were able to acquire the funds to answer the question, will broadband be an incentive to facilitate and to expand economic development within the region to be able to uh, develop uh, jobs and retain jobs within the area. The region had started to see some very large employers move to other uh, locations throughout the country. Uh, Most of them were blue-collar manufacturing jobs. So the region has these very large warehouses. And I'm talking about 
communities that range from multi-million dollar homes and Rancho Palos Verdes and Rolling Hills Estates on the peninsula, uh, all the way north to Inglewood and El Segundo that uh, are not as uh, expensive communities, and then many others in between, uh, which are either beach communities or inland communities within the region. The idea here is they did believe and they, and they did want to test the waters Will a broadband network, a regional system, actually retain jobs? Will it create a new knowledge worker workforce so that they can maintain the value of their homes and their uh, very rich um, housing stock? They needed to be able to fill the gap, and they wanted to be sure that um, they found a new instrument or a tool to be able to help maintain and sustain their economic growth. Um, we've seen many things happening within the region. We all know that they not only need to maintain their economic growth, but they all, all communities need broadband. And if they went and tried to do this on a continuous basis on their own, it's divide and conquer, and they're all paying more than they should. Our study uh, for economic development identified all of them were paying two to three times more than they should for broadband. Right, because a lot of these areas are areas that have some level of of decent telephone service. I mean, it may be advanced DSL or it might be a, a less advanced DSL, but presumably almost all of them have cable, certainly at least to anchor institutions. And so it's not a matter of they can't get any providers, but probably that the providers who are there are limited and overcharging, I'm guessing. Absolutely. And so there, was, there are no third-party entrants in this particular region. Uh, the cities themselves really didn't have uh, any assets that we could cobble together. Um, some cities did, but certainly not to the extent where we could pull, pull them all together into a regional uh, system. Uh, the traffic signal system for most of these communities is managed by L.A. County Department of Public Works, Traffic Engineering Division, and everything is a point-to-point -point wireless connection. So obviously fiber was not going to be an answer mm -hmm. to, to be able to connect this using public assets. Um, so um, at the tail end of that study, we reached out to a couple of fiber providers, non-traditional fiber providers, who are just starting to think about maybe this is something we want to get into also. Uh, Southern California Edison, Crown Castle, Zayo, and, and others, um, uh, CenturyLink, and, and even Frontier and Spectrum came to the table. We had uh, 17 interested parties at the Bidders Conference in Phase 2 of the project when we started it up, and we now have some very good responses um, uh, to the, the RFP, and Inyo, in fact, is one of them. And this is an RFP to build a fiber network that will be owned by the local governments connecting anchor institutions. Is that right? Interestingly, this particular one is that a network that is owned by the public-private partner. The cities are the anchors. Okay. And the partner provides the fiber connectivity, continues to maintain and expand the fiber footprint beyond city building connections to business connections and to anchors as well. This is, a, this is the kind of model that always makes me nervous because it seems like the local governments then uh, don't have much recourse if things don't go as planned. 
if the provider begins offering poor customer service or doesn't want to upgrade in 10 years or, you know, whatever, whatever scenarios I could cobble up. Right. So there is no exclusivity at this point. And the model that we're looking at are contracts for three, five and 15 years. So should cities, cities have the right to opt into individually opt into either a three, a five, or a 15-year program. And after that, if they're dissatisfied with the service, they move on to another provider. And okay. so it's not an exclusive relationship. And they and after the contract expires, they can get out. Um, would they have to then build a new fiber network then as part of a new arrangement if they opted out? They look for the next responsive, best responsive bidder. But that responsive bidder wouldn't be able to use the fiber that was built by the first is that right? That is correct. Okay. But understand that there is plentiful fiber within the region of these 15 cities. It just wasn't available to them before. Right. Zayo, like, presumably has fiber all over the place already. Crown Castle and Southern mm-hmm. California Edison as well. Right. The Inyo model in particular that, that we were discussing um, before we got into the South Bay, it reminds me a little bit of what we've seen Ting doing in Centennial and Sandpoint and Holly Springs. And, and I'm curious if, you know, as someone who's looked at those, I'm guessing, is there any, are there any differences there where the city basically has arterial fiber that it's leasing to uh, a trusted partner that is going to expand it to the last mile? Are there nuances that um, are different? Well, we're seeing, uh, take La Mesa, for example. So La Mesa was was rehabilitating all of their traffic signal fiber, and they decided um, instead of just pulling a 72-count fiber bundle, they asked us, should we pull another bundle or should we pull a larger bundle? So we all agreed that the best thing for La Mesa to do was to pull their 72-count and the cost is really not in the fiber itself, the cost of pulling the fiber, and of course any construction which would need to be done to make it all fit um, and to work within the infrastructure. We decided that they would pull an extra 144 count of fiber, and then we put out an RFI and said, everyone come and tell us what kind of business model you would offer to La Mesa, and we had 70 plus interested parties. One of the exciting things happening in Southern California is Beverly Hills basically just decided, not unlike, I think, kind of what Hillsborough is doing outside of Portland, hey, you know, we can hire people. We can just go ahead and build fiber to the home and operate it. You know, we're a capable city. Uh, what's going on there with, with Beverly Hills? And is there anyone else that, that you're working with that has a similar approach? Um, Beverly Hills, uh, their, their model is to... Um, not leave any money on the table. So they're not looking for a public-private partner. They're looking for contractual services. So we need to be sure that we understand that Beverly Hills model is very different. They're not like a Santa Monica where they're going to own and operate it. They are not like a P3, like what we normally see in that they own it and someone else operates it. Um, through a P3 arrangement and expands it. The city is going to own it, uh, but the city is going to contract out and select incrementally uh, all the various contractors that will provide the maintenance and operations, including content and other services. 
Okay, so this is a, a situation in which um, you know they are going to own it and maybe be able to switch who's providing the services on it and that sort of thing. But um, it is, you know, broadly speaking, a pretty, um, pretty vanilla, you know, fiber to the home, publicly owned network in which they call the shots themselves, and and they're just um, you know doing a lot more of it on contracting rather than in house, right? And which makes sense in part because they don't have a municipal electric utility. They don't. And the contracts are going to be managed by their assistant uh, director of IT. Um, they expect to let somewhere between six and seven contracts, including um, dial tone and video services over the network. They, and then this would include your standard local TV channels as well. Um, and they're looking to the industry, they're looking for third-party partners to be able to fill each and every one of those particular services on the network. The issue is that when you have that many contractors, mm-hmm. you've got a lot of uh, contracts to manage and you've got a lot of things to negotiate. And when you're doing that, there's a lot of things that can go south. Right. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which uh, things may not interoperate very nicely, I presume. Yes. And you might be relying on a particular agreement to lease an asset from a third party, and that third party changes their mind. And I thought Beverly Hills had already started building, um, you know, had had the contracts out. Where are they exactly in the process? I, I can't speak to exactly where they are, but I know that they're being held up by some earlier uh, negotiations that they had with third parties on using third party assets. The third parties now have come back and asked to renegotiate or are con- reconsidering whether or not they're going to allow those assets to be used. Okay. Um, Culver City is uh, building out fiber to local businesses. What's happening there in a, in a nutshell? So it's Culver Connect and working with Mox Communications. It's a business model where the city uh, actually owns the network and it's going to be managed in a P3 relationship with Mox Communications. Mox will market, maintain and operate the network and to continue to expand it um, over time. They will share obviously in the revenue like Inyo does, um, but be more proactive than Inyo is in the, their model um, and in working in Culver City, more proactive in, in actually expanding the network. Okay. What else is happening along those lines? Are there other projects that I'm missing? Oh, sure. Of um, course there are. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and these are, to be clear, there's probably some that you're that are in opening stages that we're not going to talk about, but these are ones that are fairly public already. Yes. Um, and I, I think I, I can safely say there's a there's a new model which is starting to emerge, and I can safely say um, that using the model of regionalism, I think, is becoming very popular with cities. Um, again, combining resources and to be able to create a critical mass to get attention from third-party entrants to actually create a competitive network that would uh, provide services to to businesses in their communities collectively um, at a much lower price if they did it singularly. Um, a good model um, that we're looking at growing. We're really not under contract yet, but I can safely say they will venture either using us or someone else. The county of Ventura is looking at creating a middle mile loop, just like a regional loop in the South Bay. And that middle mile loop will allow all of the cities to connect to a wholesale middle mile uh, loop that's uh, connected to two internet points of presence. 
they'll be able to drive down, we expect, the costs of per megabit for broadband and be able to share in some local services plus expand other kinds of uh, services um, for mutual aid and other kinds of parking and traffic, traffic signal, uh, regional transportation, and public safety matters. Great. Well, Jory, I appreciate you letting us pick your brain on (laughs) so many different happenings of what's going on here in Southern California. Well, thanks, Chris. My pleasure. That was Christopher with consultant Jory Wolf. Jory gave us an update of what's happening in California. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Send us an email at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. You can subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. Access them wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org and don't miss any of our original research. While you're there, take a moment to donate. Thanks to Arnie Hughesby for the song, Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 330 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>